Hello, and welcome to the Natural Evolution Podcast, produced by Rebel Health Tribe. I'm Michael, and I'll be your host. Together, we will be hearing inspiring stories of healing and transformation, learning from some of the brightest minds in the world of functional medicine and holistic wellness, and exploring the world's best health-related products, services, tools, and resources. recording. I'm live. Welcome, everybody. I am here today with somebody I've wanted to record with for a very long time, and we're finally doing it, and I'm really excited. I am with Dr. Deanna Minnick. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, long awaited for sure. Yeah, we've been like social media friends for an eternity and have a million mutual friends and a lot of things in common. And somehow we had never done one of these before. So um, it's really going to be a good time. And I enjoyed the off-air chat and we'll just drag it into the on-air chat. Um, Most of you probably are familiar with her work, but I will do a little introduction for those who are not. Uh, Dr. Minnick is a holistically minded health educator and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind, body, spirit, health, and functional medicine. She holds a master's and doctorate degree in nutrition and medical sciences and has lectured globally on health topics, teaching patients and health professionals. Um, Dr. Minnick is also a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a certified nutrition specialist and a certified functional medicine practitioner who teaches for IFM, the Institute for Functional Medicine, and the graduate program in functional medicine at University of Western States. Um, what I love about her work, uh, her passion is bringing forth a colorful, whole self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, soul, and art in medicine. And she's published six books. Um, is that current or did you have yeah. another one? No. Okay. I, I, I kind of lost track. Six books on health and wellness and over 40 scientific publications. And we'll have links uh, down below the, in the show notes wherever you're watching this, but her website is deannaminick.com and we'll talk about that more later. So you have been a busy woman for a while. Um, and we were talking before we went on air, there's some things that you did that you don't still do that aren't even on there, like teaching at uh, Bastyr. So a lot of education, a lot of writing, People have been nudging me to write a book for a while, and just writing one book seems like an overwhelming endeavor. So uh, kudos to you for being so prolific on on creation and what you're putting out. And I think those who are familiar with your work, if I see your name anywhere, I almost automatically see it in rainbow colors. (laughs) Like it just creates like a rainbow vision in my head because everything Uh. that I see you post is, I, I don't know if you do the designs or the graphics, but I've seen your paintings. Um, everything's so colorful. So much in this industry is not colorful. Uh, it's almost the opposite of colorful. It's very, uh, I don't know, dry and left-brained and rigid and structured and charts and graphs and these type of things. And it's so refreshing to see that. And it's not just the design though, which we're gonna talk about here. It's not just the colors and the rainbows and putting information in pretty looking things. Um, usually I see those and you're using the food to make the colors on the things. And having just recently moved to Italy, a place that is very passionate about brightly colored foods, um, 
I've noticed at the market in the produce shops and the stands where I go, the colors are more vibrant. There's a wider range of colors represented than I would usually see in most places in the States. And um, this isn't just an aesthetic. Yeah. It's, there's a, there's a real, um, this is a real factor when it comes to the value of what we're putting into our bodies. So I guess the first, the first question I have is why are colors an important part of nutrition and should be talked about? Yeah, well, thanks, Mike. I mean, said so you set the stage really beautifully. I think that, um, you know, I came into colors during my graduate degree and I had the opportunity to study with uh, two pioneers in the field, Dr. Maria Sapunzakis and Dr. Phyllis Bowen, and they taught me a lot about carotenoids. Carotenoids are plant pigments. They make they make plants pretty, uh, especially during the fall months when we have the chlorophyll degrading, and then we start to see what's underneath the chlorophyll: the red, the orange, the yellow, and all of those things make the plant look pretty. But they're also very healing, and I, I would say that phytochemicals are like the underdogs of nutrition science. So much time and energy has been given to what I would call the three musketeers, protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And so many nutritionists and people get really fixated on high, low variations of those different macronutrients. Yet what I was uncovering through a lot of my graduate research, and then even from that point on working with Dr. Jeffrey Bland and other people who really illuminated the way for me to see that there was more you know, these phytonutrients, thousands and thousands of different compounds and plants, which are having this really big impact at the cellular level. So that's one reason why I think color is important because it's a guiding light within the foods. It's showing us what has antioxidant potential, but antioxidants is kind of a, a worn out weary 1990s term, right? You know, people used to use antioxidants to refer to those colorful compounds. And now we know that there's so much more about them. And aside from that, and I know that this is your interest as well, is that color is, I would say, yes, it's healing for the body through medicinal foods that we take in, but it's also healing for the soul. You know, there's not one day that goes by that color is not impacting us. So you moving to Italy and seeing the beautiful colors in the market Every day throughout our lives, you know, we decide what colors to wear. We decide, uh, you know, looking at that stop sign if we're driving a car, that that red is alerting us to a message. We are seeing, um, you know, a green light is go, you know, a, a yellow school bus, you know, all of the colors in our environment are priming us psychologically. So to me, color is the divining rod between the psyche and the body. And I don't think we pay enough attention to it, right? You know, there's the whole healing arts that we see that medicine has spawned from, from all of the traditional systems of healing and medicine. And, you know, now we move into private practice. So uh, what I'm trying to do is take my science background and marry it to art in such a way that people have an integrated view of the whole rather than just slicing and dicing into scientific bits that we can slice and dice at the same time we can see the artistic whole is, is more or less my goal. <laughs> yes. And I think anybody who hears that, if you close your eyes and picture your favorite color, there's a, a felt sense in the body that happens. And um, there's physio anything that you feel, there's a physiological thing happening in your body also that is 
in that case, probably a positive one. So uh, I love the acknowledgement of just like the first time I saw tomatoes here a few years ago when I was visiting here that were a color that was so red that when I tried to take a picture of it with my phone, it was like oversaturated. Like the phone couldn't handle the red. The picture was terrible. And I wanted it to send to everybody. And it looked like I had put a red filter on a thing that was already red and there was too much red and I couldn't get it the right way. And I'm like, I want people to see this. And my, my gazillion megapixel camera literally can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't matter. I put the thing down and I just looked at it and there was like a, an astonishment of like, I didn't know tomatoes could look like this, but um, you mentioned seasons uh, and the colors and that um, I know that applies to like leaves, Mm -hmm. but is there a correlation for colors of fruits and vegetables and the seasons that they ripen in? I've never thought of that or heard of that or noticed that. Yeah. You know, that, that is an interesting concept of color throughout the year and how that matches the season. One of the things that I noticed just even through my community supported agriculture. So every week I get, you know, certain Mm -hmm. things that are in season and grown locally. Right. And one of the things that I've noticed is that there's a difference in color in the winter vegetables, you know, like parsnips and rutabaga and Mm -hmm. cabbage, the colors are a little bit more dull if you will, you know, they're more earthy. Whereas in the summer, when we might have more activity, we might be more prone to UV radiation because of the sun. It's almost like nature gives us more of of its uh, colorful produce. And perhaps that correlates with our need state. Interesting. And not just ours, like anything that eats those things. Yeah, that's Uh, true. Yeah. Something like, uh, what is it? I'm not, I'm not a phytonutrient expert, so I'll probably butcher some of these, but like astaxanthin, astaxanthin is, yeah. is good for sun, uh, sun exposure. Right. And that's skin. yeah. In berries. Uh, astaxanthin right? is no. primarily in things like, believe it or not, uh, shellfish and, you know, different, oh. but yeah, the, that- the colored ones. The color, Isn't yeah, the like red? the pinkish, like shrimp, you know, okay, the, the reason it's pinkish because it's eating the microplankton in the water that carry those plant compounds. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, the that's a carotenoid. It's good that you that's mentioned that one. Because okay. all of those carotenoids we take in, whether it's lycopene, beta carotene, alpha carotene, uh, lutein is a big one. Mm. So a lot of those carotenoids, yeah, they go, yes. Yeah. And there's an intelligence in the body of where these plant compounds are going. And I, I write about that in my whole detox book, where I talk about the color code, you know, red is about inflammation. Orange is about reproductive health. Yellow is digestion. Green is cardiovascular and blue purple is brain. So that's kind of how I see the pattern recognition of colors throughout the different body systems, which correlate with the endocrine system, which correlate with the chakras. You know, I kind yeah, of- I just was trying to do that connection in my head really quick, but you beat me to it. It's like, <laughs> I wonder if that lines up with, and it does. And that was, that was my other question is all the traditional healing uh, systems, I guess I would call it. Like you mentioned the chakras, which is like, a well, there's many different systems that involve chakras, but most people know them from like an Indian system in our culture, from like yoga and that type of thing. But yeah. then there's like First Nations and, and Native American um healing systems. I don't know if systems is the right word, but like they have the medicine wheel 
mm-hmm. which is color based. And then the chakra system is color based. And there's multiple, I don't want to call them chakra systems, but I, I have friends who are highly trained in various forms of Qigong and energy work from like Far East mm-hmm. practices. And those have color systems to them as well. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. And a lot of them were developed millennia apart from each other in parts of the world where it was completely impossible that there would be any communication between them and people on the other side of the planet. And these things developed in very similar ways, with very similar maps, with very similar color schemes. Uh, And when somebody showed me that the first time, it was... I don't know. I got chills. It was like, of course, everybody figured it out the same. And so I just wanted to, I think you mentioned that um, the chakras, but I've seen the medicine wheels and all the different things and it's, it's colors are involved in every one of them. Like it's probably not until this modern conventional, I'll put in quotes, uh, medical system that we've created like a healing system that doesn't have that Mm. aspect to it. Well, um, yeah, that, that is a really good point. You know, one of the things I like to do is to look for what I call the common denominator. In other words, what unifies us rather than divides. And within eating, there's so much division. You know, so many people sign up for a certain diet or they have a certain dogma, yeah. which is fine. Um, but, you know, eating is a universal act. It's something that we all need to do as humans. And so one of the things that I always look for is what can we all share in? What can we all partake in? And color is one of those things. And it's really interesting that you brought up the First Nations and Native, uh, just, you know, I studied with a shaman um, some years ago. And yes, there's color in that system. Color is part of the healing tradition, right? It is. Yeah. Even when we close mm-hmm. our eyes, oftentimes we use things like journeying or dreaming or visualizing certain states in order to, you know, heal. And often, even though we're not seeing the color, we can visualize the color and all different Mm -hmm. species of animals are seeing different frequencies, right? The the wavelengths that they're able to key into based on their eyes is very different. And so, you know, we have cones and rods, the cones in the eye allow us to see. And I'm really lately all about the eye, like the science of the eye, because I just posted on Facebook, an article that I found, and I've known of this connection, but this article did a brilliant job of linking the gut microbiome to retinal health. And what do we know about the eye now? The eye receives light. The light is received then by the hypothalamic junction in the brain. The hypothalamus talks to the pituitary, pituitary talks to the rest of the endocrine circuit. So really one of the major portals of our circadian rhythm, our endocrine rhythm is through the eye. The eye is magical. Whether or not we can see if we're nearsighted, farsighted, blind, the eye is still receiving light. So there it's, it's a very, um, there are many ways to look at every organ of the body. I think, I think we can look literally, we can look symbolically. And so when I think of the eye, you know, the all-knowing, all-seeing eyes, right? You know, in uh, ancient uh, Indian type of traditions, especially connected to, to the chakras, you have the third eye, which is often referred to as the pituitary gland, right? It's a point of meditation. Mm-hmm. So the eyes can be impacted by, as we're learning, the gut microbiome. And the eye even has its own 
microbiome, right? Like we have just found that out recently and it kind of freaked me out for a second. And then I thought, of course it does. (laughs) Well, and you know, it's so interesting that everybody's getting so focused on the gut microbiome when it, when it, I'm thinking like, well, what about all the biomes? We have skin Mm -hmm. microbiomes. We have a nasal microbiome. We have an oral microbiome, you know, we have an ear microbiome, a vaginal microbiome. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it's like, well, how did all those biomes play together? You know, the that's world's getting cool. a little bit of press lately. I've seen some big, uh, I've seen that getting more, at least in my little bubble where I follow a bunch of people that talk about health things. Uh, there's some dentists doing pretty incredible work pushing yeah. the oral microbiome connection. And we had a recent webinar on SIBO where they talked about how a lot of the non-native bacteria that are found in small intestines when there's SIBO are oral microbiome species that generally would be killed if adequate stomach acid and bile and motility and all of that was functioning normally, but it doesn't get killed. And then it colonizes in a place it should never be. And it's oral microbes that they're finding in the small intestine with SIBO. And so it's starting, but yeah, the rest of them, like eye microbiome and um, like skin microbiome, the only Jen Fugo is a friend of mine that does skin, skin interrupt podcast. She talks about skin conditions. She's the only one I've heard mention that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going to get really interesting. I think it will, and the gut ones, like they're just years ahead in that one. That's the one that everybody figured out first, I think. So it has a lot more research, but, um, the microbiome is a good segue, at least in the gut where the food goes. Uh, they like these plant compounds, right? The polyphenols and things like that are prebiotics, right? Like it, yeah. organisms in the gut love the plant compounds that we're talking about that make the colors. Yeah. And I, I call that the three P's of get, gut health, three P's. So the first P is prebiotics. Typically that means fibers, anything that can be chewed up by the microorganisms and those fibers can be more like soluble, insoluble, but they're, they're changing the metabolites. Then you have the probiotics that everybody knows, knows about, but then there are the polyphenols, which is a totally, you know, there is some overlap with prebiotics, but I think that we're learning that the polyphenols are still pretty unique. You know, they they don't rigidly fall into the camp of prebiotics. They may be creating some other metabolites that are even more active than their their mother compounds. So I think that that's really neat. So let, that would be like the, the blue purple compounds, like the skin of blueberries yeah. or the skin of grapes, um, resveratrol, anthocyanins, you know, these types of things would be good polyphenol fodder for the milieu. <laughs> All right. So here, we're, we're learning, oh, like, we're cocoa. not going to get into the alcohol debate. Um, here, here wine solves everything and they'll tell you all the different, um, plant compounds that are in wine that you should want to have a lot of, but, uh, blueberries and grapes and, um, other darker skin things is yeah, what you're talking okay. about there. Yeah. And, and cocoa okay. as well, right? Like, um, cacao, oh, cocoa, really rich. That's, in a, the that's, a, that's a popular answer to give. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned wine, so I thought I would compliment yeah. with, with cocoa, but, um, yeah. There, there's a reason why these foods have stayed within 
the trajectory of people's eating. You know, mm-hmm. they taste good, but then there is also some merit to what they're doing in the body. Very interesting. Um, so you mentioned, I want to touch on that rainbow a little bit more. You mentioned in the in the colors, because I got too excited that they lined up with the chakras, but what um, you said, green, cardiovascular, I believe yellow, detoxification, the blue and the purple, the brain. Um, can you give a, an example or two of how that's true? Like what yeah. compounds and what colors do what things for what system, I guess, would be the right way to ask that? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, and, you know, I have a chart that kind of goes through each of the colors and, and their foods. Yeah. So here's how I see it. So red, red is all about survival. It's all about safety. It's protection. And um, many of you mentioned one already, astaxanthin, that is very protective for the skin. Uh, red gets in there and has some kind of impact in certain body systems, especially like cardiovascular, prostate health, you know, things that would be inflammatory, red can come in and, and quell the red in the body. So it's kind of an, although there are certain red foods like tomatoes uh, that might be more inflammatory for certain people, or even strawberries, which are histamine containing, some people are more sensitive to those. So red is a double-edged sword. It can be inflammatory for certain folks and it can be anti-inflammatory. Orange is the color of hormones, reproductive health, fat tissue, because a lot of the orange compounds are carotenoids and they're fat soluble. So they go into the tissues that are a little bit more fatty. And what we know about fat tissue is that fat tissue can also create certain hormones. So there's a connection there. You also find certain carotenoids localized into the ovaries and even into the head of sperm. And it's been thought that they play a role in reproductive health and fertility. Yellow, when I think of yellow, I think of lemons, ginger, prebiotic fibers and squashes. Um, So when I think of yellow, I think of the catalytic activity, the breakdown effects of things like um, bromelain, um, you know, pancreatic type of enzymatic activity. You know, there are so many things in plants that make them just natural enzymes. They help in the breakdown process, right? Bile is yellow. Um, Some of the foods that help with bile would be dandelion. You know, when I think of dandelion as as being the yellow flower, but then, you know, the bitter greens, which are also helpful for that bile production and health of the gut. And then green, when I think of green, I think of expansion, openness. Uh, You know, we want open blood vessels. So what opens the blood vessels? naturally occurring nitrates, things like uh, vitamin K help with circulation and coagulation, folates help with methylation. So there are certain elements within leafy greens that we see just naturally. Like if you look at a leaf of a plant, I don't know about you, but I see the vascular system. I mean, I'm seeing (laughs) the main artery and a number of different uh, offshoots from yeah. that main artery. It's beautiful, right? Like I've seen a lot of very cleverly made uh, graphics as well that put them side by side, like the tree in yeah. the lung or the leaf in the lung or the leaf right. in the the nervous system too. But the I've seen some pretty incredible uh, side by sides as Photoshop technology has increased uh, that are like spectacular to where if you took the color away from them, you probably couldn't even tell uh, which one is which. It's it, true. It, it's really amazing. Yeah. 
And, you know, that's just an example of like seeing food as art too, you know, looking at the sacred geometry of it, the, um, the symmetry, the interconnection of it all. Like when you start to really get into it, it's like, wow. And then you get to eat that <laughs> and become yeah. that. They and have then, a lot of those. Um, what's that thing called? That's uh, they're not very popular in the States, but they, they eat them a lot here. It's like the, it's like related to broccoli and cauliflower, but it's spirally and pointy and green. Romanesco. I think it's yes. Romanesco. Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. It's, yeah, I, yeah. It looks like yeah. a fractal spiral from above or this way. Um, they, yeah. they're at, they have them here a lot. Like they're in the markets and they're at the produce stands. I don't yeah. really love it. Uh, flavor wise. I buy them once in a while to cook them. Cause I love to look at them and take pictures of them. <laughs> but, uh, I've seen recently, I forget what it's called when you put sand or liquid on something and then you make sound and it makes shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, there's a name for that. I apologize to my sound healers out there. I've been told this name a bunch of times, but you can play sound frequencies and then the sand will like vibrate into these insane, yeah. perfect, uh, fractally shapes. But then if you slice like a tomato, the certain way you see the same thing, or if you slice a cucumber the same way, you see the same thing. And it implies that like sound and energy and frequency create the vegetables just like it creates the shape of the sand that that's like an unseen um thing that's guiding why that thing is shaped like it is kind of in a really oversimplified way but yeah some of the patterns in fruits and vegetables are um i'm into like psychedelic type art and nature wins in that competition oh absolutely yeah that (laughs) that is really beautiful um to think about that you know, I was interviewed by a different um, podcaster, uh, Lachlan Dunn, who's in Australia, and he was asking me what I thought about shapes, like the shapes of food and what that mm-hmm. conveys in a more um, therapeutic sense, like circles and squares and, you know, just like how, yes, I'm keyed into color. And he was asking, well, what about the shape and the design And I just thought it was an interesting question, right? Like there's so many layers that we can look at food. You know, there's the shape and the design. I mean, how much, how many times, and I'm not very big into, like, I'm not a, an engineer or a physicist, but I know that some of our most advanced technologies have been modeled after things that exist in nature. Like we're trying to create leaves that will harness sunlight and turn it into energy. And like, literally we're trying to make the things that the tree makes or that the ground makes on its own. And the, like, uh, I don't know the right word, the, the intricacy of it, even with all of our technology that we have now, we can't make most of it. Right. It's and design it. And it's like beautiful and flawless. Mm -hmm. So it almost makes me not want to eat the thing sometimes, but then I remember like it makes more of them. So I don't feel bad, but uh, it's like eating a piece of art. Yeah. And I think that's appreciated more in other cultures uh, too, than it is often like in the States uh, where food is like a a thing you need to eat because you have to do it and you get it at the drive-thru and you eat it in the car and you do like, um, I think more traditional cultures still have that connection to like the beauty of food as art. 
I'd like to briefly interrupt this conversation to let everyone know that we've got a free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit that's available for you right now over at www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations if you'd like a little help organizing and implementing all your learning from this podcast. A gift from our team over at Rebel Health Tribe, producers of this show. And now, back to your episode. So blue purple is for the brain. It's mental health. It is, you know, it's the color that's in the shortest supply in the average diet is blue purple. And it's just because it occurs very rarely and it's very precious in nature. So, you know, it's not often that we see a lot of berries, you know, it's more common to see leafy greens and, you know, green is in no short supply, but even in the Italian market, I bet, you know, blue purple, next time you go to the market, it's just not common, right? But it's no, concentrated. So when you do see it, it's it's really a good idea to get as much blue purple as, as we can. Eggplant's the only one that's around right now because things are really seasonal here. Like it's not the same. I, I can't get certain things. Yeah. Um, if I went to the supermarket, there's a supermarket over there. I could get stuff from there. But anytime I've asked that to my, because I'm in school here for language and I ask them a lot of questions about things that aren't language because I'm trying to understand stuff. And I say, I saw a mango at the supermarket. Do mangoes grow in Italy? And then they got like upset that there's mangoes at the supermarket because the mangoes come from South America. And I saw avocados at the supermarket and I said, do they grow avocados in Italy? And they said, yes, they're starting to grow them in the South, but they're very water intensive and they don't belong there and we shouldn't be growing them. Yeah. And like, that's the, I couldn't imagine that response coming from like a random person I would talk to in the U S but here there's like this knowing that those foods aren't pineapple there's a pineapple at the supermarket and i said do they grow pineapples in the south here they're like no because the south here is not tropical it's dry yeah so it's warmer but yeah and so i can't get the color like the berries here there will be a this many berries here in like the summertime for a couple months and then they go away right and i think we're so used to being able to go to the store and get whatever thing we want whenever we want it um mm -hmm that eating seasonally really is a lost art, like a lost right. natural thing that we're out of balance with. Like in Minnesota in February, you shouldn't be able to eat a mango. <laughs> like that just wouldn't exist ever actually in Minnesota, but like berries, you can get berries from Chile in Chicago. I'm from Chicago originally. I can get blackberries in, in January. Mm -hmm. Can you speak, what about the time? Like, a berry comes from Chile and goes to Chicago. What happens to these colorful compounds and any of that? Once a thing is picked, is yeah. that part of the reason why like fresh and local and seasonal is better is because do those things like degrade or go away or become less abundant? They do. Yeah. So every, I mean, a plant is living just like we are and it has a life mm -hmm. cycle. And in some cases, what is done, especially when things are picked from faraway places is that they're picked early and then they ripen in root, right? So they don't really have the benefit of soaking up those additional sun rays or getting those last drops of rainwater. And sometimes they're actually accelerated and they're ripening through ethylene gas and other types of applications. So like bananas, bananas are- Is that what ripens bananas when you put them in a paper bag? 
Mm-hmm. It's a gas, like the gas. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, they um, start to ripen. And so, yeah, they, you may not be getting the full extent of different nutrients. And, you know, when you live in a certain place, your body starts to connect to that environment, right? You, you start, your microbiomes start to change. And so then your mm. needs and what you take in start to connect into that. So if we're constantly, let's just say we're eating oranges and it's winter, we're sending the signal of summer to our body when it's actually winter and that we're in a different hemisphere, which is very incongruous, right? It's kind of like, what a disconnect for our bodies to be taking in signals that don't align. Yeah, that's a super new thing. Like as far as our physiology goes, like the ability to do that. Right. uh, Like even 50 years ago, I'm sure you could get mangoes or oranges or something in Chicago in the winter 50 years ago, but it probably was difficult and very expensive. Now they're the same cost all the time and they're there all the time. And winter's actually the season of oranges uh, where they grow. Yeah. In Florida and in California, like I lived in California for the last eight years and citrus season was the winter. Right. Winter. I'll put winter in quotes because California doesn't have winter. But um, but then the rest of the country gets those oranges at the same time, like the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or if you're eating them later, they've been in a however oranges are stored for four months. Right. Or something like that. And so. I've, I've had people that I've tried to teach eating seasonally and locally to kind of roll their eyes at me as if that's like old fashioned or archaic or some sort of thing. And I'm like, no, this is legit. This legitimately has an impact on your physiology because if you think about it, what percentage of human history and evolution did we eat only the things that were where we were Mm -hmm. like 99.999999. And now you have cherries in February in Minnesota. And that's got to be confusing to some level of systems in our body of like, it's cold, it's winter. I need to shut down. I need to slow down. I need to eat tons of fruit and run around. Like it's, um, well, and and there's, it's, it's not only intuitive, there's actual science that's emerging to support seasonal eating. And these studies are primarily in animals, but what they do is they change the day night cycle for the animal, feed them different kinds of fruits. And in general, what some of those emerging studies are showing is that there can even be greater fat accumulation changes in leptin, which is a, a, um, a hormone that's connected to appetite. So there can be some metabolic shifts by giving your body a different food that is not within that season. So that we are seeing in animal studies, you know, for humans, it's a little bit more difficult to do that because there are so many variables that come into play. Yeah. And you can't do things that, you know, are like harmful. uh, Right. Right. You wouldn't in a human study too. There's like ethical things like, and I'm not, there's such a fine line with this. Cause like, I love animals and it's hard sometimes reading studies that are done on animals because I know that, yeah. you know, they know what the outcome is going to be to an extent. That's why they're doing the study to like prove a theory. And usually that theory is not going to go so hot for some of the animals in the study. So um, I want to acknowledge that. And it's, you can't do that with people. So right. 
Right. And in these studies, I mean, I don't think that they're doing harm per se. It's more like just twisting the uh, circadian rhythm a little bit on its head temporarily, seeing how a food um, changes a lot of the hormonal signals. You know, I think so much of us, of our physiology is run on endocrine interaction and hormones. It's, you know, this year for Mm -hmm. me is all on food and hormones. I just see such a connection between the hormones that are naturally in food and how they're changing our hormones. And then the hormones that are toxic in the environment, the endocrine disruptors and how that's changing our endocrine system. It's like, this is the age of the endocrine in my mind. This is like, and what is the endocrine system? It's the chakra system, but it's within the Mm. Western context. And what is coming to light for me is that true integration of seeing what is negatively impacting it. Like the endocrine disruptors, the plastics, the parabens, the heavy metals, and then on the other side, looking at what is bringing it more into balance, things like maca, things like adaptogens, things like the phytochemicals um, in the skins of foods, you know, ginger contains melatonin, uh, rice contains melatonin, cherries contain melatonin. You know, we don't realize the extent of naturally occurring hormones in plants. This, there's a name for these. It's called phytohormones, just like you would think, plant-based hormones. And people have been doing it with things like wild yam, kind of these lookalike mm-hmm. progesterone. People yeah. think of, you know, when they think hormones, typically they think of sex hormones, but they don't realize like there are there's cortisol and like the whole mineral of corticoids. Then there are the digestive hormones, the leptins, the adipokines. Now we know that the liver is a, a hormonal organ. The heart is an endocrine organ. The thyroid, you know, all of the foods that impact thyroid function, right? And then the pituitary. So I do think that we're even body fat, like fat tissue is an endocrine organ. Fat tissue, absolutely. And the skin, you know, the largest Mm -hmm. terrain of the body, the skin has its own hypothalamic pituitary access. You know, it it kind of it has a stress response built in uh, from the receptor perspective. So you know, our, our whole being is like a walking, talking, breathing endocrine vehicle in the environment. And it interplays with the immune system, with the nervous system and our psychology. So it's a beautiful way to portal into our everyday experience, right? Like some people are really into the psychology of it. Uh, some people are into the immune aspects, especially now. And then there's the endocrine, which is really interfacing with all of those systems you know, and, and that's what we know from traditional, just to kind of circle, come full, full circle from where we started, is that these ancient traditional systems always acknowledge the interconnection of body systems. You know, if you have an issue with your eye, we need to be thinking of the liver and the gut. You know, they, they can see those mm. patterns. And now in science, we're getting granular. We're trying to understand, okay, if the gut microbiome impacts the eye, can we create a certain therapeutic blend of microorganisms for people with age-related macular degeneration? Wouldn't that be cool? So like you prime the gut then to correct the issues potentially in the eye. Like, I think we're trying to break it down to help people with these debilitating conditions. Yeah, the interconnectedness is um, something that yeah, is is universal in all traditional healing modalities. Like my my master's is in uh, exercise physiology, and I had to do 
during my, I don't remember what prereq it was. I don't know. Maybe it was anatomy, physiology, maybe something else. I had to do like a report on an alternative healing modality. And I love the word alternative to be used to refer to things that are like 3000 years old, but um, <laughs> when the drugs are like 70 years old, but anyways, That's why I've stopped uh, using it. it's like, it's not alternative yeah. to complimentary. No it's, it's like, the, no, it's the thing that we're doing now is alternative. So, uh, but I chose Chinese medicine because, yeah. which I didn't realize when I chose it is like literally the most deep complex thing that exists in the world. If you really want to get into it, uh, I went and took a book out from the library that was like 2,700 pages. And I'm like, oh my God, the guy said, this is the primer book. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, I took out of that what was really fascinating, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about Chinese medicine then. I love it now, but I knew nothing then other than they use needles. And that's scary for me because I have a phobia of shots. But um, what I picked away from it and I wrote the whole paper about was that they found these patterns yeah. that um, in the book, something I had read when I was writing it was that they found the patterns and then it compared it to like patterns that were found in Ayurvedic medicine and patterns that were found in, I think it was somewhere in Canada, like a First Nations medicine. And then they even brought up like a Norse uh, mm -hmm. or some like Northern European uh, ancestor medicine. And while they acknowledged there were differences, there was like an underlying, a lot of the patterns that were discovered between like the liver and anger and certain body systems and like emotions and then certain diseases with certain bodies. and. I read this thing and I was like, man, I want to do over and do a master's degree in this because what I'm learning over there is not as interesting as this. And it's so compartmentalized. Yeah. Like we create these hyper specialists in like, you can get like a PhD in the gut lining. Right. And then you know everything about the gut lining, but you don't know anything about how it interacts with anything else. Good and point. like, I'm starting to see things though, but I'm going to go backwards a little bit. Like by backwards, I mean like to, to seeing the interconnectedness. They all have colors to the systems and then the foods that go with the system that go with the pattern. And it's more fun too. Um, like it, it, there's a feeling that comes with it. Like we're smiling as we talk about this because it's so cool that this is how it works and that nature developed itself like this where um, the cold compartmentalized doesn't, have that same energy to it well so I, I do think you need both I, I think it's kind of cool that we are macro and micro you know when I go into a cell and start looking at its parts I start to see the macro you know I think it's mm -hmm. it's good to have a specialist in gut lining like Alessio Fasano yeah. and you know like that True. helped us to understand zonulin which helped us to understand autoimmunity which helped us to understand like the root cause so I guess I see yeah. it. I embrace. I don't want to knock. I don't want to like throw it under the bus. I just see. I wish the people would all talk to each other more. Yeah, yeah. We need more crosstalk. Um, no doubt. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We need the botanist like them in the same room. This talking to the the English lit um, majors talking to philosophy. Yeah. You know, everybody needs it, but you know that's an overwhelming, beautiful way. That's to a lot. Yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot to try to learn. Um, you look at, you know, Da Vinci and those people, uh, like that was kind of the, the Renaissance era people uh, did do that. Yeah. Like they were the artist and the scientist and the mathematician and the whatever, but like 
with the internet and the the proliferation of knowledge now like what that that's that's i don't think one brain could could right. handle that but uh yeah more more crosstalk and communication i think that's happening i think it's definitely definitely yeah. happening especially happening. with younger people in the medical field i think that it's yeah. it's happening quite a bit so um well i think we're about out of time i could love to continue this conversation for like the rest of my night but if people want to find more information about your work and what you do i have a few links um uh, we'll put down below one is to your rainbow diet book and then there's a, a free download that's an e-booklet that is a companion or a preview to that that we'll also put the link down below as well so they can find that is there anywhere else that they should go no, thank you so much for giving everybody that free download. I have a bunch of downloads actually on my site. So it's just deannaminick.com. Okay. It's just my name. And if you go to, there's a resources tab and then under resources, it, it will say downloads. There's just a bunch. So whatever anybody wants to take, feel free to um, pull from anything you want there. There's a um, whole bunch on color, you know, living a colorful life. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. The links are all below. Super fun. I love the colors. Keep, please keep sharing your paintings. If you don't already follow Dr. Minnick on Facebook, uh, and I don't know if you do Instagram or wherever, but I see your paintings on, on Facebook. We'll have links to the social media below too. Um, it's worth it just for the art. Aww, so, thank um, thank you for putting those out. I'm, I'm so envy, not even envious, just at, I admire people who can create beautiful things like that. And uh, I live vicariously through um, those. So please keep doing that. And we will talk again soon. Wonderful. Thank you so very much. Enjoy your time in Italy. I, I will try. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tall order. And that wraps up another episode of the Natural Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening, and please check out the links in the show notes below to learn more about our guests and grab your free downloadable Foundations of Wellness Starter Kit, which will help you implement what you're learning here and make powerful shifts in your health and your life right away. Just go to www.rebelhealthtribe.com backslash foundations, and you can be started in only a few minutes. If you enjoy the show, please drop a rating, review, or subscribe to stay in the loop with future releases.